Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest podcast. Welcome back. And I am So excited today because I have the honor of interviewing Natalie Zena Walshatz, who is the author of Hench, and her book is coming out in September. Hi, Natalie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, this is a blast. I'm 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 very pumped to be here. Oh, we are so honored in this book, um, which we will get into in the next few minutes. We I love it so much. It is a lead read selection for fall 2020 which when we got this book everyone in the office was so excited because we love just like a good twist on some good superheroes and villains so um let me just do talk a little bit about you natalie just pretend that you're not here all right tell tell everybody your accolades so natalie is a writer community manager and game designer she's the author of thumbscrews which won the robert groach award for innovative poetry and doom love poems for supervillains her writing on the interactive adventure the aluminum cat won an indicate award and her poetic exploration of the notes engine and bloodborne was covered for kotaku and first person scholar she also plays a lot of D&D, participates in numerous Nordic LARPs, and watches way too many horror movies, and maybe reads reams of speculative fiction. I love that intro. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and Hinch is her debut, so we talked about her poems, but Hinch is her no- debut novel. It's a book about superheroes and villains, but with a really unique twist, it follows often overlooked Hinch people for villains. We meet Anna, who starts off as a temp and slowly works her way up to be a right-hand woman for one of the most powerful supervillains in her world and she has a superpower sort of of her own the knowledge of a good spreadsheet which i appreciate so (laughs) um this book when i got it was so fun you know you're you expect superheroes villains i love that world i mean i'm not maybe as well versed as some people but i love those movies i love that world but it's just about so much more it's about these normal people these everyday people who live secondary lives to these superheroes and villains and you know what effect that has on them and so i just love the quick pace it was a new take on this classic story and honestly a really great revenge fantasy which was my favorite part (laughs) (laughs) And it's gotten so many amazing reviews. It's got starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, Kirkus Reviews, Library Journal, and Booklist. Um, I'm going to read just a little snippet from Library Journal. So this book will please comic book fans who wish to take a jab at the superhero tropes, as well as readers who enjoy dark humor with a bit of satire tossed into the mix. And then Booklist said... Hinch reads like a comic without the illustrations and is packed with subplots and rapid-fire wit. With a diverse and inclusive cast of characters, Walshot's original tale performs a brilliant and exciting variation on the superhero trope and is not to be missed. Those are amazing. 
I'm shocking no one more than me, I assure you. The uh, the the response to the book has been honestly incredible and and so much more uh, and so much more wonderful than you know that I ever could have expected. Um, it's you know sort of from the moment that Hench was selected as a lead read, it it's sort of I've had to revise what my idea of a best case scenario was many times over. And it still keeps surprising me. Um, in particular, the way that uh, librarians have embraced this book has been so extraordinary. I've gotten so much support and positive feedback um, right from the beginning. And and that's just completely blown me out of the water. So uh, it's 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 wonderful to see. It is endlessly wonderful to see. Uh, and it has never stopped surprising me, the kind of responses I've been getting. So... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It feels very surreal. I it feels very it. surreal. It feels very surreal and, and very overwhelming in the best possible way. Right. Well, you have lots of love in library world because I was just telling you before we started recording how many people have specifically, like, I think I was presenting another book and they're like, oh, we have to talk about Hench. Like everyone loves it so much. <laughs> um, and it, it's well worth the love. It's such a fun, a fun story and uh, very well deserved. So congratulations on this book. Um, and just for anyone who doesn't know what the lead read is, um, because I forgot to introduce it. So it's a program where the sales force all votes on a book we're going to get behind for the season. And this is our fall 2020 pick. Um, so into the book itself, I gave a, a, a one minute overview, but tell us more about this world and, and why we follow Anna throughout this book. Um, absolutely. So so Anna is uh, at, certainly at the beginning of the book, um, a, a hench, a hench person uh, sort of working um, or finding work through the hench agency or the temp agency that uh, places hench people with supervillains of um, hopefully their dreams, but usually their nightmares. Um I've always been fascinated by the plight of hench people, um, you know, as, as a huge fan of comics and a huge fan of uh, superhero stories, um, kind of lifelong, I was always fascinated by the people in the background. Um, you know, I've said this before, but, uh, you know, even in the, the terrible um, Batman and Robin movie, uh, the hench people are amazing. Like Mr. Freeze's hench people are amazing. They're, they're clearly some like mostly a triple A hockey team who have incredible matching outfits and have agreed to like hang out in this sub-zero fortress. What is their story? How did they get here? endlessly fascinating to me and uh, and with hench i really wanted to explore one of these stories um because i i feel like the uh the lives and experiences of ordinary people who are living or attempting to live alongside superheroes and supervillains um those stories are fascinating and have a massive amount of potential uh and are largely unexplored um i was you know sort of fascinated by hench people in general uh, because they are people who tend to be disposable in these kinds of stories. You know, you you see, um, you know, like the henches will attack the superhero and just sort of get like mowed down or like thrown out of the way as almost an appetizer to the like real battle with the supervillain. Um, but those are human bodies who are interacting with a superpowered body. And that's horrifying if you think about it for 
kind of any length of time at all. Um, and I, I really wanted to explore uh, and dig into the stories of people who are in typically dehumanized in these narratives. You know, we're not supposed to feel bad for them. Um, we're not supposed to think of them as people because as soon as you do start thinking of them as people, um, it, it stops being fun pretty quick. Uh, and so exploring that was something I was, I was very interested in the way that um, the pe certain people get, get dehumanized or get um, sort of considered disposable because of, you know, any number of reasons um, of marginalization. Uh, in, in the novel itself, so Anna, a, a youngish hench person, um, is taking a series of terrible jobs because, you know, even if you're trying to destroy the world, somebody needs to, like, answer the phones and get the coffee and fix the photocopier. Um, she has uh, a series of initially hilarious and then ultimately, you know, pretty dramatically horrifying encounters with heroes and villains alike. Um, she ends up very badly injured after uh, her first real run-in with, uh, with an A-tier superhero. Um, and while recovering, uh, starts to think about the cost of superheroes and the cost of, you know, heroic activity um, on the communities that that heroes are ostensibly um, there to protect. Uh, and she finds a way to run that math and, and she finds that, you know, indeed they are worse for and doing more damage to the communities that they are in scare quotes protecting um, than, than the villains would be if left unchecked. Um, so she sort of, with this this newfound epiphany, and uh, you know, and and as you mentioned, a perhaps some revenge feelings um, about her sort of treatment in general. Um, she moves forward to try and demonstrate that uh, heroes are bad, actually, and there might be other ways of moving forward that don't have the same kind of like human cost and and property damage. Yeah. And she uses this like incident report to kind of fuel some rage and maybe explain what people's lives are worth to people. Um, yeah. And the, so, the, yeah. so the injury report that, that Anna develops, which is, you know, sort of looking at the, the damage to in, in terms of like death, injury and, and, and you know, property costs that superheroes cause, um, is is real in that the math does actually work um the uh the i i lifted a lot of those incidents from other comic books um to you know taking like a, a specific encounter running those calculations and seeing what the kind of like human life year cost would be um the calculations that i used are developed um by a researcher named elon noy who lives and works in new zealand um and uh developed a, a way to measure the cost in life years of natural disasters and his work is used all over the world to kind of calculate like this is what this disaster cost um and I just applied that math or Anna applies that math to superheroes. Um, so she, yeah, she develops, she, it starts as a, as a blog, you know, it starts as just sort of a thing that she releases online. Um, but all of her math is sound and all of her math works. And I have those spreadsheets <laughs> and they're really something. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it was, it was very important to me that, 
that was as much as this is a, you know, obviously very fictional superheroic world that it what it held water and that, you know, that part of the world building was sound and that the math did run. Yeah, I'm so impressed. You, you lost me a few times. That's how good the math is. I'm not a math person. But I was just like, this is insane that you can pinpoint somebody's destruction mm-hmm. and how many lives that they can take where you're going for this like greater good. But what is the cost of that greater good? And that was really fascinating. Um, and there's speaking of, mm-hmm. I love that you brought up the Batman and Robin film because... <laughs> And you're behind the book piece, which is on Edelweiss 2. They need to go check it out because in that behind the book essay, you were talking about how that 1997 Batman and Robin film, which I loved and I'm still Mm -hmm. like, you kind of hate love, but I'm still fully here that Poison Ivy is the main character. She's the best part. I 100% Uh, agree. Yes. (laughs) Um, But it's funny that you say that in that essay, because when I was starting this book, I thought of Mr. Freeze. That was the first person because I have always been so intrigued with the idea of like, I think a good super villain needs a reason. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, it's terrible that they have, that they're doing all this destruction. But for the most part, they have something that they can justify that this is why they're doing, they've been wronged and they have a bad, um, a revenge that they need. And so it's just really funny because that's exactly who I was thinking of, of as a really sad backstory who you feel kind of bad for them in a way. Yeah. What was it like talking, like looking into the villains backstories and um, their relationships with the heroes in the story? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think you've, you've nailed it in a lot of ways, you know, that um, there's like no one becomes a villain like overnight you know there is it's it's a it's a process right it's a and it's often a process of being um deeply disappointed by people that you trust over and over again um and being you know in in situations where um you know perhaps you are sacrificed for the greater good or you know there's there are um there's a kind of loss or uh again like dehumanization that you find intolerable um and then you know that sets you on a path that ultimately gets you categorized as a villain um now in the in the book um becoming a villain is both a choice and also kind of a label just in in terms of the world building um the way that it sort of works is uh anyone with superpowers um every every person is screened for superpowers anybody who has superpowers at a certain level um has to be drafted into being a hero it's just kind of the way it is that is the way that that works. That is the way that very high level superpowers are managed and controlled, and um, how hero heroes are very much made. Um, not dissimilar to the way professional sports works in a lot of ways. Um, hence why why that organization is called the draft in the novel. Um, but if you elect to not be a hero and not go down that one particular path you're a villain. Like those are your only two choices. It's, it's a label that gets applied to you as much as that, as it is chosen. Um, so in, you know, in the book, you both encounter, uh, villains who, um, have taken that mantle on like willingly and enthusiastically, 
for, you know, all kinds of reasons. Um, but you also uh, encounter villains who have taken on that label, not because of, you know, that that they wanted to be a villain, but because they didn't want to be a hero uh, and they didn't want to kind of contribute to and be a part of that machine that is, that is operating in this world. And, and there just are, there's a very limited and binary choice. Um, so, so that uh, like kind of, kind of exploring that um, like, the, the various ways in which these labels can be both taken, but also applied um, was very important to me. And like very much echoes the way that, you know, you are uh, that, you know, if you're if you're not like considered a law abiding citizen, whatever that means, you're the only other option is a, is criminal or criminalization um, and that. Had, comes with its own kind of dehumanization and its own kind of labels. Um, and that was something that I very much wanted to explore and have, have present in the book as well. Oh, that's perfect. Wonderful way to, and I had a question. It's like, what do you think makes a good villain? But I think we've covered that. <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, okay. So let's talk about the workplace, the day to day for the henches mm-hmm. because the, the grander story is the superheroes and villains and how Anna fits within that. But I think what's really fascinating about this book is like really the mundane, like what mm-hmm. she does every day in this <laughs> office. And I think that um, it's described, you know, as like a, a through a lens of a millennial office politics, you know, but <laughs> I and I've actually that that sentence has really made me think because we, we talk about this a lot. Like this book is, you know, very millennial. I'm like, what does that what does mean, that mean? As one myself, <laughs> as one, as, right, as one myself. Like, I, I don't really, I know, like, I, it's a feeling. I just don't know. So what makes this millennial specifically? Is it, like, the stellar computer skills or the need to do evil to pay the bills? I don't <laughs> I mean, all of, all of the above, but also in, in kind of a, like, I watch the best minds of gi- my generation kind of ways. Like, I have been surrounded my whole adultish life by hilarious geniuses, like extraordinarily talented people. Um, And I have like both watched and often been alongside them in workplaces where those talents were completely like squandered and smothered because, you know, because of the state of the world, there were no jobs and the ones that were there sucked and you know, you kind of had to take whatever you could possibly get, regardless of what you may have wanted to be or regardless of what your dreams may have been. And going through that myself and watching so many people around me go through that same experience, um, like really profoundly impacted me because, you know, like I've taken when I, you know, when I was in my early 20s, like I took contract work for an oil company Um because I had, it was the job that was available to me. Um, I, you know, that is a, and is an oil company actually less evil than a supervillain? Like debatable, quite frankly. Um, so I, I, I feel like there's, you know, I, it was a, it was a predicament that I found myself in. Um, I like to joke that Hench is a little bit of an autobiography, which is like, haha, but seriously. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of it came from there. A lot of it came from, you know, exploring the, um, 
often really terrible work experiences that I had had personally and that people close to me had had um, and and trying to kind of like uh, like both look at how hilarious they were because for sure they were um, but also how bad and how you know sort of uh, slowly soul destroying that can be to kind of be in a place that you know you're only there because you have to be right yeah and I think you bring up a good point about um you know maybe working for places that ethically don't align with your own views so mm. you have to have these hinges have to have a little bit of a, a compartmentalization where absolutely like, yeah they can put that to the side so what do you have to be willing to overlook to be a hinge I mean, I think it depends on what kind of hench you are, you know, and, and at the beginning of the book, certainly like Anna, Anna's very distanced from anything you might call like evil, right? You know, like she's, she's literally like doing data entry and, and, you know, work, working on like very boring administrative tasks that are nearly identical, maybe except for the content, but the actual work is nearly identical to, um, anything you might do in any other office. But as the book progresses, there's this sort of escalation of what she is called on to do, what she is capable of doing and what she chooses to do. So kind of moving from, you know, this could really be work that happens anywhere, you know, in, in terms of the actual tasks and the things that are happening, despite like it might be like a lava base or whatever. But like if all you do is answer the phone and like, you know, make sure people's schedules are updated. Does it matter? Arguably, no. Um, but as as the book moves forward, you know, what she does becomes much more active um, and much more often questionable and, and, and morally gray and, and certainly complicated um, in the same way that like, you know, you can you can start a kind of work that maybe your morals don't align with perfectly at the beginning. And the, the work you're doing just seems very um seems like it would be the same no matter where you would be. Uh, but then suddenly you find yourself like, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm working for an arms manufacturer and making decisions, right? That like, and participating in this in a much more active and complicated way um, that may be doing real harm in the world. Uh, or in Anna's case, certainly she believes uh real good, despite the fact that a lot of her job is making superheroes as miserable as humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah. And what I also love is that the villains are described as being progressive employers. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's that scene when Anna, you know, she's early on gone mm. through this traumatic thing with her first big employer, um, kind of her descent into this madness of spreadsheets and, um, and I mean, Madison, the absolute best way, mm -hmm. but she is told to kind of stand more in the shot because he wants more women to be seen. He's very a progressive employer. <laughs> and I like this idea of like having good benefits while you're working for this 
evil corporation. Like everybody just wants a dental. Evil. You know what I mean? Like it all comes <laughs> down to like I just need a new pair of glasses like really soon. And right. if I just wait out my probationary period, it will all be okay. Um, right, right. Deliver some package. I don't know what it's in it, but as long as I get new glasses, it'll it's be fine. fine. It'll be fine. If I just don't look at it too hard, it will all be fine. Um, so I've been, I've been like – I'm sure a lot of us have had this experience where um, our employers would like to be perceived as progressive uh, much more than they are interested in actually being so. (laughs) So like that was that particular scene that you mentioned, like stand in the shot. I want to make sure there's more women visible is, uh, you know, does the electric eel actually care about like, I'm sure he would call himself a feminist if you asked him to his face, but like, what, what are, what are his priorities here? Like, what does he in that moment really care about? It is perception much more than it is like attempting to do a positive thing in the world. Um, you know, and, and as uh, is demonstrated fairly quickly, um, doesn't super care about his employees or their lives or health uh, when pressed in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Well, um, before we close, mm-hmm. I know so on Twitter and I hope I think that you're pretty OK with this uh, this thread, because I had said in our on our library lovers account that if you had watched um the umbrella academy mm-hmm. and you're looking for something i think that that this is a, a natural step because it's not about you know it is about superheroes and and fighting and all of these and that's wonderful it has those overarching themes but what's really important are these relationships and these smaller people going through their daily lives and so i mean i i hope that that's a that's a very flattering it is an incredibly flattering comparison. Absolutely. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled by the comparison. I think that, I think that the, um, I think that there's a lot of things happening there that, uh, that I, like, I, I love the Umbrella Academy. I think it's great. So there's that. Um, I also like really appreciate, um, the fact that it has a diverse cast and because that is something very important to me and, and was something that needed to be front and center of, of any work that I create because that reflects the world that I live in and the community that I live in. And I think that, you know, the, the, that, you know, that the umbrella Academy is trying to do the same thing, you know, is, is, is reaching for that same, like, um, let's represent the world, in the in the way that we are experiencing it, which is varied and weird and spectacular and and full of extraordinary and very disparate people. Yeah, exactly. Very different, but also I think in that same vein, um, it's something that will kind of make your heart sing a little if you like both. <laughs> so, with that being said, is there anything maybe that you're reading or listening to or watching now that you would kind of tell people to dive into if they liked Henge? Oh man, great, great question. Um, oh, uh, I, I'm I'm reading the new. Uh, I'm reading Harrow the Ninth. So, like, obviously, um, I loved Gideon the Ninth. It is possibly perfect. Uh, so reading the sequel, very, very good. Um, Alex Harrow's 10,000 Doors of January is also, um, you know, spectacular. Uh, really enjoying that. Um, 
and a, a, a good friend of mine actually uh, it's not it's not in the same vein as hench like superhero-y wise but um he's a he's a really big inspiration of mine when it comes to to body horror um his uh, he has a couple of books uh that have just been reissued um utopia and voke um are are a pair of novels uh utopia is a uh it's a a novel of terrible optimism and voke a novel of radiant abomination uh and they are uh definitely horror novels uh and they have some of my recent most favorite body horror that i have encountered it makes me very uncomfortable and therefore i love it very much so uh those are i'm sure i'm like missing a bazillion things that i love right now but um those are those are some of the things that uh that have captured my attention at the moment oh i love it well um i think that's all that we have time for although i feel like we could keep discussing millennial office politics i have so many stories man seriously (laughs) (laughs) um but thank you so much natalie this has been really wonderful and i hope everyone goes and checks out hench and um thank you again for talking to us today thank you so much for having me this has been super fun thank you for listening to the library love fest podcast for more information on this week's episode go to librarylovefest.com Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.